Welcome back to another episode of the Development by David podcast. This week, your sponsor is me. If you wish to help caffeinate this podcast, then you can use the link in my bio at buymeacoffee.com to supply me with a coffee or two or three. Depends how generous you feel. This podcast takes a lot of work, a lot of energy, and that's supplied by my caffeine intake. And if you wish to support the podcast, then please donate me a coffee. My friend, Natalie Burrows, welcome to the Development by David podcast. Finally, you're on. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I am really, really good. We were meant to do this earlier in the year, but I'm really, really grateful we've came around to speak about a topic that I have zero understanding in, a topic in which I underestimated its importance, the listener may have done the same, and a topic that once understood, you can truly impact the way you live every single day. Mm. That topic is gut health and nutritional therapy. That's why I invited you on, my food-friendly friend. In that instance, who is Natalie Burrows today in 2022? What do you do? So I am a nutritional therapist. I'm a naturopathic nutritional therapist. That's my training. Um, what does that mean? Also, so naturopathic really means treating the body as a whole, really looking at all systems of the body as interlinked, um, considering food as a primary source of healing the body, um, and being an educator as well. The term doctor really means educator, and we really embody that of being an educator so that people can take the reins themselves and be their own champions of, of their own health. You know, I shouldn't be holding all the secrets. I like to share <laughs> as much as I can, hence today. Um, so yeah, naturopathic nutritional therapist. Um, and very much the therapist part is how it's more than just food. So nutrition is a really key role, but actually understanding how people sleep, what their stress levels are, what brings them joy, what exercise they do, what's going on in their everyday life, that really impacts our overall health. You know, nutrition is huge and we'll talk about why, but the rest of it matters as well. So that's where the therapy side comes in too. Um, I'm also a functional medicine certified health coach. So a lot of words in my title, but um, functional medicine, again, is about looking at how we can treat the body um, as, as a whole system and get to the root cause of what's going on rather than just operating on that surface level and looking at symptoms individually, really getting to the root cause of why the body is out of balance and therefore the system is showing signs of disease, um, which is really what disease means. It's dis-ease of the body. Um, I can see there's a light bulb gone off yeah. there. <laughs> um, and a health coach, health, functional medicine health coach really means taking that model and utilising it to support people with behavioural change and positive psychology and actually you know, a lot of the times we know what we want to do, but how do we actually do it? We're stuck in habits. And when we say, like, I'm stuck in a rut, we're just used to doing things a certain way and change is difficult. So that's where that part of my role really comes in. Um, and I really, I'm, Sorry. I just, I was going to say, I really like that last sentence there or that last paragraph, that last point, because motivate, people have great motivations to start a journey like this. Right? But motivation is fleeting. You get mm -hmm. it in, in spurs. It might be because you watch Wimbledon on TV and see someone who's a great, a great in shape, so you think, oh, I'm going to take care of my health now, or you watch a program that inspires you. However, discipline is, continu is, a, is a continuum. Um, mm -hmm. And I have this analogy where I think motivation and discipline are like rides at a theme park. Discipline, so mo motivation is like one of those drop zone rides where sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down, it stops in the middle, and then it drops back down again. Whereas mm -hmm. discipline is like a roller coaster. Yes, there's ups, yes, there's downs, but there's and there's corkscrews, it goes up and down. 
um, but there's a predetermined track for you to follow. And I feel like some people come to you with the motivation, the drops and ride, but you give them the roller coaster that they need to take them from start to finish, which I which I love to hear. I love I really like that analogy. That's really nice because you're spot on sort of motivation. I don't really see motivation as being a thing when people say I'm not motivated. It's not really a thing. Motivation doesn't sort of turn up. We can't purchase it. It doesn't greet us with our alarm clock. You can't. How do you create motivation? You know, it is really spare of the moment thing, but it's fleeting and it passes. And what really matters are our intrinsic values and actually what connects us what what connects us back to that to the values and the beliefs and the and the quality of life we want to live that's where we then create habits that align with our values that achieve that quality of life that's how we stick to positive change it doesn't mean it's going to be easy and be there all the time but if we can bring ourselves back to that point it it becomes easier than searching for that motivation I had a gentleman called Dr. Brian Penny on the podcast who is a psycho psychologist um, who gained his PhD after 18 years of heroin misuse. And one of the things that he brought to life when speaking about addiction is the premise of values-based decisions and feelings-based decisions. Mm -hmm. And in the context of food, a feelings-based decision would be acting on a craving for sugar or acting on a craving for junk food. Whereas a values-based decision is like, I take care of my health. I am someone that's fit. I am someone that prioritizes protein synthesis. I'm someone that prioritizes healthy blood sugar levels. I'm someone that ultimately has a healthy body weight. Therefore, mm. that trumps the feelings-based um, decision of eating the junk food because it's a higher, more pers- meaningful, more purposeful goal. And mm. I love that framework that he brought to life. And you, you can have eliminated that with what you said there. Yeah, exactly that. Spot on. And we have a lot of those conversations um, with people. So what does the day in the life of a nutritional therapist look like? Gosh, it's varied, but it's fun and I love it. Um, So I founded um, the Clinic Integral Wellness, which is very much a nutrition and and health clinic. And we support people primarily with gut health, um, reversing type 2 diabetes and weight loss, weight management support, really supporting, like you said, that relationship that people have with food and the choices that they're making, but also getting to the root cause of a lot of conditions and we'll talk about it today in relation to gut health that um, are really disruptive to people's lives so as well as doing that we so seeing people one-to-one very much in a private clinic setting um, research test evaluations um, speaking to clients coaching them through change talking to them about actually what's happening with their body trying to break it down to them into something that's manageable. I use a lot of pictures, a lot of sort of analogies like roller coasters and things like that come into my work and really help people to sort of understand what might be occurring inside because they can't see it. So some people, if they can't see, it's really difficult. So we bring a lot of that. Um, And then also I love working with corporates. My background is very much in corporates. Um, I was in corporates for 10 years and I know how important it is for businesses to have proper well-being initiatives in place for their employees. We see a huge issue when it comes to absenteeism, presenteeism, massive issue in turnover, and actually sort of post-pandemic, the priority for a work-life balance and for workplaces to care for the individual's well-being has shot up. And there was a really high percentage of people in a recent survey done actually. Um, up around sort of the 80% that people were willing to 
turn away from a job and leave a job if they didn't feel their employees were looking after their health, if they didn't feel like they cared. So when I when I worked in corporate for a decade, that wasn't really a thing, but it really is now. So it varies across those two things as well, as well as obviously supporting a team of nutritional therapists, which I love. So given that you started your career and navigated your career in the corporate landscape, ultimately that came to an end when you had this kind of light bulb moment or a pivot and maybe your own values or your own North Star. What motivated you to have such a career change? Mm, it was a big career change because I was in marketing in fintechs, which is so different. Uh, and fintechs are fun, like so incredibly fast growing and a really fun in- industry. Um, and marketing is such a great place to be as well. But it wasn't a lot of people have the, like a personal calling. Something happens to them. And therefore, it sort of strikes this change in them when they and they respond and act on it. Mine's not massively, it's not very clear cut like that, um, but it is a combination of tales. So uh, working in corporate, I did completely neglect myself. Um, I'm a very typical sort of Taipei Virgo. Um, if you subscribe to those sort of archetypes, I'm an overachiever. I'm a perfectionist. I really like to help other people. And so... I threw myself into work and work so hard for the companies, for businesses, for my team, and very much at the detriment of myself. I lived, I worked in the city of London, I lived in Surbiton, um, and I would cycle the 17 miles in and out of work to make sure that I ticked the exercise box, because the overachiever in me needed to tick that box. Um, and also it meant I would save on the train fare and I wouldn't have to get caught up with that commute. Um, but that meant that I was exhausted because I was over-exercising on top of a very busy working day. I didn't really eat particularly well because I didn't really have much time to eat. Work, I allowed work to take over and not for time to eat. I'd get home so exhausted, I'd just roll into bed and roll out again at 5am and do it all again and you know easily skip dinner. Headaches would become migraines, um, PMS, you know, females amongst us, we know how crippling that can be. And I'd be in bed for two days a month or, you know, wishing I was. My weight fluctuated. My bloating was out of control. You know, secretly unbuttoning the top of your trousers, hiding it under your jumper in winter and things like that, wearing nice big dresses. Um, and hugely nauseous, nauseous for years without really knowing why. So, This was very much how I lived through my 10 years. And that definitely plays a role into why I made a change and just thought, actually, what what am I doing? You know, I feel awful and this isn't how I should be living. You know, I wasn't even in my 30s when all this was happening. This was very much my 20s. It was meant to be prime of my life. (laughs) Um, And I was was drinking a lot, to be honest. It's probably something I should be really honest about. I I would drink a lot um, to keep up, I guess, with the lifestyle, but also to cope with the fast-pacedness of it all and just not really sure where I was going. Oh, well, let's have a drink and I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to think about it. That's definitely a big part that led me to it. Um, But in tangent to that, that was happening to me and happening to everyone else around me that I could see everyone else is getting ill everyone else is getting sicker 
we're all coming into the office the next day and popping barocas and popping painkillers and prescription tablets are coming out and cheeks are red and you know we're all gaining a little bit more weight and this looking around experiencing it myself and then looking around at others and thinking are we rushing through life without any real care about what matters and focus on ourselves and are we happy have we has anyone asked them that that question recently how often do we ask ourselves that question am I happy do I feel well we're at such speed so these two things massively collided right in front of my eyes and I just thought no wonder as a nation our NHS are struggling no wonder we are getting sicker even though prescriptions are going up and there was something like a between 2018 and 2019 there was um a massive increase in, prescri in pre prescription drugs something like 10.9 million increase in the amount of prescriptions given out wow. and yet these states continue to rise so something's massively going wrong here and that I connected that, what I was living in that moment of being in corporate, not really in touch with my everyday. I connected that very much back to probably what was the foundation to why I'm doing what I'm doing now, which is that I I suffered at the hands of prescription drugs, uh, prescription medication. I had a very bad experience of that back in my late teens, which actually turned me away from medication. Um, I was diagnosed with depression in my late teens which is quite common sadly and put on various antidepressant drugs um, and I say various because with every single one I suffered a side effect that took me back to the GP to ask for a different drug and the last side effect I suffered was suicidal ideation which having my mum carry me back to the GP and say you know my daughter is in a worse state now than she was five months ago when we started messing around with this medication. And the GP very, very bluntly say, this is a very common side effect. Just changed my world. That moment changed my entire world, but I didn't quite appreciate it for another 10 years. When I then witnessed the life I was living, the people around me, everyone getting sicker, everyone taking more medication, and no one really getting better and no one really feeling particularly healthy or very good. And it led me to think, OK, I need to go back to my roots of what I believe. And I believe that we need to treat the body well if we expect it to perform well. And it led me to, to retrain. What a story. Yeah, I still really like no other. You've unrolled so many threads that I want to pull on and open up. One being around this concept of being a high achiever. So I presume that you neglected your health from a holistic point of view because you were achieving in all other realms. You could, well, an example, I recently went on a weight loss journey with a personal trainer and looked, at, looked after my nutrition, looked after my cardiovascular system. But for so long, I would hide behind having body, um, not body dysmorphia, but poor confidence in my body, um, being a little bit heavier than I liked. Um, having love handles, um, having a dad bod, I, I would hide behind that and 
use work as an excuse. I would be like, well, I'm achieving in all these other realms. My podcast is doing well. I'm passing exams. I don't need to work on my body because I'm doing well in other realms. But in fact, I, I was soon to find out that looking after your physical health and your nutrition impacts how you perform at work. So they mm-hmm. were married. They were a couple. They were Mr. and Mrs., both weight loss and exercise and productivity at work. Can you tell me how those two are synergistic, how one can impact the other? Mm, absolutely. And it, it's it's great to hear that you've, you've, you've connected the two and you came to that realisation. And that story is so common for so many people, you know, yourself and, and me included. You know, it's while we're doing so well in certain areas, we that that's enough you know we haven't got time for other things but it has such a knock-on effect if we just think about the basics of nutrition why do we eat food why do we eat food for energy for socializing for cultural reasons but actually we eat because the body has to have nutrients and tools and information in order to function The body doesn't just function by itself and operate by itself. It relies on tools, just like we would rely on a set of instructions when trying to do something. The body relies on similar tools and information to enable it to actually operate and function and get us through life. Now, the body does an incredible job at doing that and keeping us alive in some incredible circumstances. But to live well and to function optimally and to feel great, we need to feed our bodies with the right tools and information so that it can do everything that we want it to do for us. And the the key one here I see is when we talk about detoxification, which I know detox is such a buzzword and <laughs> people are juicing to detox. I saw someone say detox water the other day and I was thinking, what on earth is that? Can we just drink water, please? We don't need to say it's detox water. But the way this is where nutrition can go both, both ways because people can go very extreme and say that and people can go the other way and say you don't need to worry about detoxifying your kidneys and liver and lungs will do that themselves sure that's absolutely the organ's job but the organs cannot do that well unless we feed it the right nutrients to enable it to operate that way you wouldn't expect a factory to work if you suddenly removed part of the machinery you wouldn't expect a car to work if you suddenly took out the engine or disconnected, <laughs> or disconnected a pipe or a, I don't know I don't know cars but whatever you would disconnect you know if you take a wheel off so I don't know why we treat ourselves so differently and this disconnection from us and why we eat in the first place and why we get a good night's sleep and why we show ourselves to the sunshine and why we take moments to rest we've lost the why and we just assume the body will just cope because it has coped so much but as you've experienced and you've just said when when you actually make that connection again when we reconnect and it's a big part of my ethos within the integral wellness clinic when we reconnect the why and we rebalance the body and we start providing it with the nutrients it needs we function better we're more productive We've got more clarity. Our brain can actually work because we're we're giving it the tools to do so. You know, we're able to perform better in sports. We're able to sleep better because we stabilize our blood sugars. We can go through all of it, hormones, the like. That's really the crux of it. 
One of the key words that you mentioned is that our body copes. It has coped. But cope is very different to thriving. But people, especially within your story, you were surrounded people who ate and medicated just the way you did. Mm. And you couldn't see what was on the other side of good health because you were looking around, you were thinking, well, they're doing it, so I'm doing it. They're operating fine. I'm operating to some degree fine, just fine or you're coping. What's normal? What's is it? Yeah, exactly. So how you, I guess the listeners may be listening in and be like, well, will I work in an office where the person that sits to the right of me is slightly overweight and the person to the left of me is always lethargic? How do you remove yourself from this office social norms if you don't want to go on the on the lash on a Thursday to cope with the stress of work or you don't want to do a Friday lunch at McDonald's or you want to break away from the office norms? How do you begin to rebel against the um, yeah the office way ways of working? Mm. Such a good question, and. It's one that I've really had to consider the answer for in many different scenarios for for the sake of clients and also for the sake of supporting businesses as well, because I do fundamentally believe that there are business business cultures need to change. And as a business, the business needs to support healthy living, talk about, you know, health appropriately, encourage different normals. You know, there can be sometimes an encouragement of, the last man standing, last woman standing, last person standing. And um, also, you know, who emails first in the morning? Who's in the office last at night? These sorts of things have got to change at a business level, at a company structure level. And that's a big part of the wellbeing initiatives that I really enjoy working with businesses on. But there is also, from an individual perspective, going back to how do I want to live? Because the person sitting to the right of you, the person sitting to the left of you, they are not going to be carrying the bill. And when I say bill, there isn't a financial element of it, but also just the general weight of ill health. If you go down with ill health, only you truly suffer the consequences of ill health. Only you feel the pain. Only you feel the disruption. Only you have your lives disrupted, be it from a social capacity or from, you know, your ability to do the things that you want to do and achieve the next career goal. So we have to go back to what do you want from your life? What matters to you? Why does it matter? Go, I, You know, as a marketer, I used to ask the question, why five times before I really got to an answer? And I do exactly the same in in my role here, ask yourself the question why five times before you really unpeel the layers and find out what truly matters to you. And then it's, we have to find the strength. And this can come with a lot of the coaching that I do. We have to find the strength to stand strong in our resolve as, actually, I'm going to say no thank you to the invitation of you know the fast food chain at lunchtime because actually that's not going to help me get to where I want to be. And I'm going to say, yeah, I'll come out for a drink, but I'm just going to have one and then I'm going to stick to water or I'm going to just have water tonight because I feel like I've, I've drunk enough this week. And all of the sort of conversation around it, all of the jives and, you know, banter that comes with it, standing strong in knowing that you are doing what's right for you 
is difficult at times, but is also really important because, like I say, you're the only one that's going to be impacted by the choices that you make. And the person sitting next to you who's falling asleep at three o'clock in the afternoon, you might actually be the inspiration for them to make the change. And I see this a lot in clients. You know, they, they are the start. And I really support them in coaching. My team do the same. Support them in coaching them to make the change for themselves. And we watch the knock-on effect it has to the rest of their family. And suddenly the family who were pushing the takeaway suddenly are making the change to not have the takeaway. And so you could be that. You could be the change. Just be the change you want to see in the world. I, I love that. One thing that comes to mind is you mentioned this kind of aspect of personal impact, the impact of neglecting health. That lies off the thumb. That lies that lies uh, on your shoulders. But one thing we, we we joked about the Truman Show before we hit record, right? A yes. really great way to live is to live as if you're in the Truman Show. If people are watching you go and make that mm-hmm. feelings based decision, go to the the, the junk um, food uh, takeaway place, then like pretend you're in the Truman Show. People are people are watching that, and you see this kind of that you mentioned this angle of personal impact, but Another way to frame it, and one of the reasons I'm focusing on my health is that one day I hope to be a dad and maybe a grandfather. I want to be the fittest grandfather that I can be or the fittest dad. I want to run and play football. I don't want to be walking to the football pitch with a limp and not being able to partake in passing a ball or playing catch. So by like prophesizing and kind of and kind of forward thinking about who may also be impacted by your mm-hmm. poor health is also a good way to frame it, I believe. I, I completely agree. And I'm pleased you brought that up because you're right. If, if you, and I see this a lot with, with mums, actually, where they have huge mum guilt when they're looking after themselves. But if we don't look after ourselves, and I'm a, I'm a stepmom, but if we don't look after ourselves, how can we support and look after our families? How can we support and look after our friends? You know, if we want to be a really good friend to people, no, I can't let them down. No, I need to do that. No, I better not say no. Well, hang on. If you if you keep not listening to your own needs, you're going to struggle to to be there for the needs of your friends, for your family. So there is absolutely a ripple effect, a knock-on effect to others. I love it. Let's talk about gut health. Before we do that, tell me what the gut is. Is it the same as the stomach? Is it the intestine? What is the gut? That's such a great question. So when we do talk about gut health, or at least when I'm talking about gut health, I'm talking about all of it. I'm talking about from mouth to south. <laughs> best way to put it. And it's long and it's complex and there's a lot going on in there. Um, but it really has it's the root system to our body, it's the root system to our health, if we see it that way. We put food into our mouths. Food is fuel, information, tools for our body to operate. So the function of what goes on from our mouth downwards until the body asks us to get rid of the rest of the, get rid of what is not beneficial to the body. It's toxic waste. By the time we're going to the bathroom, that's known as toxic waste because the body doesn't need it. So we put in something of benefit, we get rid of something that isn't. That's the gut health from top to bottom with an awful lot going on in the middle. So it's responsible really for how we digest and break down food, how we break down those nutrients for the and information for the body. It's responsible for how we absorb it, 
through our intestinal walls, the intestinal barrier, the microbiome, which we hear a lot about now picking up, and the balance of it, the location of it, the health of it. It also includes the liver, the pancreas, and the gallbladder. So, you know, how well are we detoxifying? How how good are our pancreatic elastase enzymes that are helping us to digest and break down food? What's our gallbladder sufficiency like? You know, are we able to break down and emulsify fats properly? A lot of gallbladders get removed. You know, what knock-on impact does that have on our digestion? Um, as well as sort of that passing out of the waste, how frequently are we passing out waste? How how commonly is it to, for us to go and remove waste from the body? And that is a little bit different for everybody, but it should still be pretty frequent that we do that. Um, and as a nutritional therapist in, in this world, we love to know what that looks like. <laughs> so that's the gut, really, from, from mouth to south is, and all of that that goes on in between. What are the symptoms of poor gut health? Well, it can start from digestive distress. So we start from the top, reflux, frequent belching, heartburn, um, stomach cramps. And as we travel down to um, bloating, gas, diarrhea, constipation, that's a lot of it going on directly related to the gut. But actually, we also see it coming out. So we see an impact on the skin. A lot of skin issues, eczemas, dermatitis, acne. We're going to be going back to the gut. We see a knock-on impact of hormones as well. We see an impact in inflammation ripple across the body as well. And we think about sort of aches and pains. Um, we, we also want to check the health of the gut as well, because if we have got inflammation in the gut, that can have a knock-on effect. Histamine issues, so when we're thinking about hay fevers, um, allergic reactions, sort of reactive dermatitis, when we sort of have flare-ups and, and things, that's related to histamine, and that would take me back to the gut as well. Um, brain fog, fatigue, weight disruptions, diabetes as well, blood sugar balance, we're going to go back to the gut. Mental health issues, low mood. There's not a lot that doesn't take us back to what is the root system of the body. That's perhaps very, very stark. That is really, really stark. I want to know about the impact of fasting on the gut. I would begin to believe the gut's like your biceps, right? If you went to the gym and you constantly change bicep, train biceps, protein synthesis wouldn't occur. You wouldn't repair, you wouldn't recover or repair and build that bicep be stronger and to be um, better at performing if you just kept on training biceps just like if you wanted your hair to grow but you kept on shaving it every every single day your hair's not going to grow same with the grass if you kept if you wanted your grass to grow and you kept on walking over it that wouldn't grow either that being said is the gut almost the same if you're eating for most of your awakened day does the gut have a chance to heal and repair and, and, and be strong Mm. Or are we damaging the ability for our gut to carry out its duties by eating uh, in, in such large windows? I love that analogy, actually, of if you if you keep cutting the grass or keep walking over the grass, the grass wears down. I'm going to use I'm going to take that one. That's brilliant. That's okay. um, I'll charge maybe five pounds for that one. That's my <laughs> yeah. at the end of the show. Copy an invoice. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. This this constant grazing across the day 
is not beneficial for the gut. And and look, it was it was the trap that I was in when I was, as I mentioned, the life that I had before where I was really just focused on on working and I hadn't set myself out actually three good meals a day. I was just constantly eating and it was having a massive impact on my gut health and really contributing to why I was so bloated and having to secretly unbutton my trousers. Everyone's going to be looking out for their office workers now who's unbuttoning <laughs> their trousers at three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, but yeah, you're right. This, these, and it, it, it's become a trend that came about possibly out of the gym that, you know, and that's a, my background as well. I, I do go to the gym a lot and I've, I've appreciated how that's changed. The advice from there has changed a lot. This eat little and often mentality, eat six mm. meals a day and go and lift, you know, train different body parts every day of the week. It's just not how it should be. And it, the science has moved on from that. And yet we still see a lot of people living that way. Truth is, starting with that three square meals a day, going back to that, is a much better way to support gut health, a much better way to support blood sugar balance as well. And the reason being that the gut has a really incredible cleaning system called the migrating migrating motor complex, MMC. Much for MMC, it's much easier. Um, and this really kicks in after about three and a half hours of no food, not even milk and drinks. So if you went, you know, a couple of hours and were like, oh, before lunch, I'm going to go and grab myself a milky latte, then we've disrupted the fast and that break between meals because milk is a food that the body has to digest we see it as a liquid but with how we feed babies so milk really is a food so what about what we not what about coffee if you were to interrupt a fast with black coffee black coffee from what we can see black coffee doesn't interrupt a fast okay only when we add milk or we were to add maybe mct oil or i know some people add butter then we've created then we've added a fat or we've, you know we've added a more macronutrients that require the digestive system to kick in. So three and a half hours after no food, the migrating motor complex kicks in and it lasts for around about 85 to 110, 115 minutes, something like that. That's how long it lasts. So giving yourself a good five hours is really beneficial, five hours between meals is really beneficial for allowing this to take place. And the reason it's so important is because it does clean our gut. It's the cleaning system that acts as almost like a bit of a housekeeper and it propels food through the digestive tract, pushing food in the right direction. If you imagine our small intestine, right, they're long. If you stretch them out, Oh gosh, I can't even remember the length of them now, but I know they're not sort of stretch across football pitch and things. It's ridiculous. The amount the small, I'm going to have to go and grab the stat or you're going to have to look it up. The amount the small intestine stretches is amazing and we pack it into our body. That's all twisted and curled up. And so there's a lot of corners and nooks and crannies. And within the intestines itself, it's made out of loads of microvilli so that there's loads of surface area to absorb nutrients from our food. That's the main job of the of the intestines, the small intestines, is to absorb. So you can imagine how easy it is for bits of food and things to get caught and stuck around corners. The migrating motor complex comes through as a cleaner to help encourage everything to move in the direction it should. 
if we don't allow that to happen because we're continually grazing and disrupting and not enabling this housekeeper to come along, we end up leaving food behind. That food can putrefy. Putrefying doesn't smell great and can cause gas and inflammation and bloating and digestive distress. To add to it, if we don't keep food shifting in the right direction at a really nice frequency and pattern, we can end up shifting the microbiome balance. So we have a small amount of microbiome in our small intestine, and we have a huge amount of microbiome in our large intestine. And that's how we want it to stay. We need that balance. If we don't allow this to happen, that balance can begin to shift and cause other issues. What is microbiome? What's its importance? I thought you might ask that. <laughs> so microbiome is bacteria. If we're going to make it really simple. Microbiome, microbiota, as you may have heard it called as well, it, they are bacteria in our gut. And we need them there. We are learning so much about, about the microbiome. And really, we are at the very beginning of really appreciating what these trillions of bacteria, more than we have genes in our body. So we've always seen genetics and DNA as a little bit of a wow factor because we've got so much. We have more microbiome in our gut and in our bodies because it's all over our skin, up our noses and all sorts of offices. We have more microbiome in our gut than we have genes, DNA. They are there to provide us with many different health factors, including things like supporting our immune system, supporting the generation of neurotransmitters like serotonin, supporting blood sugar balance, enabling healthy body management and sorry, weight management, body composition. There's really no end to the impact of microbiome do. We also see that when they are imbalanced, so we like a good balance of everything. It's like a good set of scales where everything is, you know, just balancing as it should. When something is overcrowding or there's less population of it, we then start to see gut disruption because the microbiome likes to live in a good balance. So that matters when we consider about the balance of it in the small intestines and the balance of it in the large intestine. But the switching over between the large and small intestine also matters because that can create something called SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which means that the small intestine has more bacteria than it should. And that can also cause people a lot of um, gut disruption and bloating and fatigue and knock-on issues. Have I answered that okay? Because I know it's a really complex topic. 100%. I'm absolutely nerding out. I'm having so much fun, Natalie. I love learning about the MMC. I wouldn't even try to say that in full. Um, that's for sure. Can you remember what that stands for? Migrating motor complex. Migrating motor complex. Okay. Is that so? One thing that I'm really guilty for, and my sister will be the first person to attest this, is that I eat really fast and don't chew my food. I believe that you should chew your food maybe like twenty or twenty-one times, and I'm only beginning to learn that. It's because it breaks your food into a liquid in your body. I'm guessing that MMC will, it will be, the MMC will be more grateful for having a liquid to help pass through and to digest, opposed to having chunkier foods that yeah. that must have to break down, I, I guess. When you speak about these sharp corners and, and things like that, I'm reminded of how poorly I eat, my bad 
chewing habits. How does not chewing your food properly, um, how does that impact the gut? Mm. And it, I mean, how common is this? Where and again, I, I, again, it's probably in this world of corporate workers who are stretched for time over lunch, so they yeah. eat their food within 15 minutes and they go back to work without chewing their food and properly digesting. Absolutely. And I'll put my hand up to it again. I am absolutely one of them. And I really have to try hard to chew my food properly. And I have to put my knife and fork down in between meals to encourage it. If I'm sitting across from my husband, he'll often set the pace because he is very good. Um, and it's always a bit embarrassing when you finish a meal before your husband in a restaurant. <laughs> And my husband's in the military, so he's a really sort of muscly man, and then his wife eating a lot faster than him. It's, I'm really reminded of it quite often. So look, I'm I'm guilty of it. I'm not. I'm, I sit with others, you know. I'm not perfect with these things, but having these reminders, I think, is really important. Our teeth are a part of our digestive system. I think that's really important to bring about. I said, didn't I? Digestive system is mouth to south. That includes the teeth. The moment. We smell food and we create, you know, like when you smell bread or you smell something cooking, like roast dinner cooking or something, and you start your mouth starts watering. That's your digestive system getting ready to work. It's getting ready for food. That's salivary amylase, enzymes, things that break things down. That's them picking up and going, right, okay, I'm ready. Where's the food? That's the beginning of our digestion, and that's where the teeth start to come into play as well as the as the saliva so chewing the food yet yeah, 20 to 30 times breaking it down so it's almost like a mush and people can cringe a little bit and it can be very difficult to get to that state because we're not used to it anymore and when I get people to count they often come back to me with six times they've chewed eight times they've chewed before they've swallowed and they're swallowing really large pieces so if we think about the knock-on effect that's going to have if we say chew six, eight times and then swallow and a big piece of food goes down into our stomach, our stomach is like a tumble dryer. I mean, it's incredible. The way that the muscle works, it, you know, contracts and expands and throws things around. And it's got hydrochloric acid in there as well as lots of other enzymes to break down the food. The acid we have in our stomach, we don't want anywhere else because it's so acidic. But the, the muscle lining of our stomach is so incredibly thick, it, it's protected in there. And its job is to break down that food even further. Because once it leaves the stomach, we're going to the small intestines, where, as I mentioned earlier, the job is to absorb nutrients. So if we haven't broken down our food properly by the time we're heading into the small intestine, what's the likely chance of us not being able to absorb food very well? If we take a football, the surface area of a football versus the surface area of multiple golf balls, is really different, right? So if we take a piece of food and we chew it down into six pieces versus chewing it down into 30 pieces with 30 bites, the surface area is really different. And that actually enables our small intestines to absorb nutrients from it better. So I mean, just to recap that sort of transition, the more we chew, the easier job our stomach has to break it down even further into what we call chime, which is the real sort of liquidy sludge, ready for our ready for our small intestines to take it on and have as much surface area as possible to extract and absorb nutrients from. When we don't allow this to happen, 
when we're swallowing big bites of food, our stomach's got a heck of a job to do. And I'll tell you, when we're stressed with busy work lives anyway, we're not creating great stomach acid and great enzymes because they reduce when we're stressed. And we can definitely come back to that. So our stomach got a massive job to do to break down a bigger piece of food than it's trained to receive. And so it can only do as much as it can before it passes it through to the small intestine. And we've got less of a surface area. We've got, we've got less to work with when it comes to extracting nutrients and gaining the tools that our body relies on to function properly. We also end up with big chunks of food that the MMC is then pushing itself, push trying to push through and encourage through the digestive system, but big chunks of food that then the microbiome further down the digestive system begin to feed on. And when we overfeed our microbiome, we can then imbalance the lovely balance that we want to have. We can trigger bloating. We can trigger excess gas. We can trigger cramping, etc., etc. Did you see how that, that just this, traveling journey from mouth to south just has massive knock-on effect and we can often then see the evidence of it when we do go to the bathroom for those of us who look which I always encourage us to do let's look at what we do excrete and start to get to know what's normal and what's not we can often see people see what they've eaten they yeah. can recognize the meal in their stool in the toilet that's because we haven't broken it down properly. And if we haven't broken it down properly, we haven't absorbed it. If we haven't absorbed it, our body's lacking tools. We're going to struggle to function because we haven't taken in as much as we should have done from that meal. The listeners have probably never found still and poo so interesting. And this is something that should really be taught in schools. It really should be. Yeah. And it, it exemplifies the importance of your work. I'm glad you're doing it in organisations, but I think it should be taught in schools. This is very, very brilliant. I'm learning so much. I want to ask about, because I, a lot of my mates tune into this podcast and we're all big fitness goers. We love our protein shakes and our protein-based meals. If we're not chewing our meals properly and we're just swallowing lumps of chicken breast or whatever else, mm -hmm. you're telling me that we're not gaining the full advantage of those grams that were put into my fitness pal. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All of us. And I'm a weightlifter as well. I'm a weightlifter and I really encourage everyone to lift weights and strength train. I'm going to throw that in. Um, and yeah, absolutely that. We're not going for, and specifically with proteins, because proteins break down before they get to amino acids, which is what, you know, when we know about fitness and, and muscle gains and things, we're really focusing on those amino acids. And we all should be really, that's what's um, supporting us, our neurotransmitters, the brain chemicals are made out of amino acids, as well as obviously us wanting to support that muscle building if fitness is our main goal. It has to go through the protein from how we see it on our plate to getting to amino acids has to go through several stages of breaking down before it gets to amino acids. If, if we don't support that process, yeah, we're going to struggle to uptake that. Embedding myself in all the fitness forums online, I see a lot of discussion around branch-chain branch amino acids mm -hmm. versus essential amino acids. Okay. But it seems that in the fitness culture, the BCAAs are being like debunked at the moment. Are they are taking BCAAs? Do you know if this is still a useful thing to do? This is a personal question. 
I, I don't mind you asking personal mm-hmm. questions. I think, and I think a lot of people can benefit from it. Um, so I guess to this is always it's always a roundabout question when it comes to nutrition it's never straightforward it's always it depends <laughs> yeah, yeah it do, well it does often i would i generally like to start with food why can't we gain the amino acids through food why do we need to take the branch chain amino acids and if we're performing at a certain level and sports nutrition isn't my um, specialty but if we are performing at a certain level there could very much be a need for it and i'm and i'm there for that and Things like creatine, yeah, I, I do take that. And I think that can be really beneficial, especially if you are a weightlifter. But, you know, the gains you're going to get out for it are marginal. Let's be honest. Essential amino acids, because you mentioned that, and I think that's definitely worth touching on. Amino acids are broken into three different categories. There are essential amino acids. Can't remember the second one begins with C. Going to come to me in a minute. I've lost it. Um, and um, non-essential amino acids. And the essentials mean that our body can't create it. Whenever we say anything is essential, like essential fatty acids, omega three and six, they're essential because we can't create it. So we have to get it through food. The second category I cannot remember the name of um, is. Sh- sh- shall I do a little Google quickly? Go on, do, do a little that. Google for me. Begins with C. Let's make the podcast. And then I'm going to have a light bulb moment. Let's see who wins. Google or are you? Um, conditional amino acids. Thank you. <laughs> Perfect. Conditional amino acids. Thank you. Conditional is meaning that we need, we'll take some of what the body can make itself. But it's conditional because we need some of the essential stuff in order to create conditional amino acids. So it's conditional based on what we also eat and what the body can make itself. And then non-essential means the body can make it. That's how amino acids are broken down. So when we're thinking about proteins, we do need to consume all of the essential amino acids. And we need to have consideration for the conditional amino acids, which is actually one of the biggest things I really encourage people to do is really consider their range of protein intake. If you're an animal protein eater, if you will eat meat and poultry and and fish, then you will get your essential amino acids because they're what we call complete proteins. There's a really big rise in veganism and I'll I'll champion the ethics behind it. I think it's beautiful. I'm a massive animal lover and my husband's always worried he's going to come home to a farm. Um, Mm -hmm. But the concern I have around it is that there are very few plant proteins that are complete. Quinoa is one and soy is another one. But soy is quite a a heavy allergen for people. So a lot of people don't tolerate it very well. Um, So in that case, you need to get really savvy with knowing where you're getting your amino acids from to make sure you're getting all your essentials and you're supporting your conditionals. One of the things that I've been in disgust of about my recent weight loss journey is that I went through a period of time where I was eating the exact same meals every single day and it was one source of protein which was chicken every single day for each meal um, coupled with basmati rice or some sort of kind of microwavable rice um, with some kind of steamed veggies um, and then I would have like whey protein and then like a kind of processed fiber one low bar mm-hmm. and that was kind of the crux of my diet. And I 
I then was thinking about it, like, that must create intolerances to other foods that I'm not having in that case. Like, if I were to surround myself with friends who are all the exact same, I'd probably be intolerant to other people and other opinions. And it's the same way as food, right? Like, if I'm eating the same meals every single day, then surely that I will be intolerable to, you know, certain spices and, and things like that if I, mm-hmm. if I do remove them from my diet for a prolonged period of time. Would you advise against that kind of eat mm. the same every single day approach? Absolutely. Absolutely. And when, you know, we support people with food intolerances and there is something called oral intolerance where we, some people find that they really struggle to tolerate most foods and they're down to eating like six different ingredients and that's it in oral intolerance is what we would call that we've you know we've gone from a food intolerance to an oral intolerance because we can't tolerate much and actually that gets exacerbated by continuing to not eat much we continue to perpetuate the issue that's a function we've we've got to dig deeper and we've got to get to the root cause of actually a functional issue going on with the gut either by the digestive process the absorption process or the balance of microbiome or possibly an infection somewhere with a parasite or a fungi or a yeast that's that's causing such disruption that's that's limited someone so much when we do this in choice and you know i've i've seen it in the fitness world i've done it myself my husband's done it himself before i met him um you know what is it chicken rice and broccoli <laughs> one, isn't it? It's chicken, rice, and broccoli, and a rice cake. <laughs> rice cake. I've heard that one before. <laughs> fish and a rice cake. There's that YouTube video, isn't there? Fish and a rice cake. <laughs> yeah. Um, but when we do that, we just think about the lack of what we are. One, the lack of tools that we are giving to our body. If we were to, if if you were to have a toolbox for your house, okay, there are definitely your top three tools. But if you were to have a hammer. A screwdriver and what else? Set of pliers. It's going to do some jobs, absolutely. But you're going to come across an awful lot of jobs that you can't do. And we have to consider that with the body as well. When we only feed it a really small amount of food when it comes to diversity, we are only feeding it a small amount of nutrients compared to the variety that we could give it and that it would really like. So diversity is really key. Diversity is really key from a general health perspective. It's hugely key from a gut perspective as well. The gut loves diversity. The microbiome loves diversity. It loves to receive an awful lot of different plant foods. And that's really what the microbiome feed on. When we go back to those gut bugs that are so vital and that we're learning so much more about and I really leave the door open for just continual learning of the microbiome and the benefit it has to our health and the impact it has. It loves to, it, it feeds off of what we feed it. They're live living organisms, which can feel a bit odd sometimes. But they are live bacteria that we have to feed to keep them happy. They love diversity. They love variety. They need lots of different plant fibres and sources to keep them happy. That's what we've got to consider when we consider our diet to keep it balanced. The more the merrier. You know, that phrase, eat the rainbow, which have you heard and often gets sort of moved around a lot, doesn't it? Only in the, term, only in the world of Skittles, I'm sure. Taste the rainbow is their catchphrase. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? That's, that's where my son first talks about it as well. He often says to me, so can I have some Skittles on my plate? No. Um, <laughs> But yeah, absolutely. Eat the rainbow really means that eat a colour, diverse range of 
plant foods. And I'm not saying be a vegan. I mean, literally eating from the fruit and veg aisle. You can go and get other things as well. But when we go to the fruit and veg aisle, how colourful can we make it? I'm very happy in doing that. If we come up level to vitamins and minerals, you know, we're about to head into winter. There's going to be a lot of people that routinely will take a multivitamin during the winter as a way of keeping healthy because that's what you do. Our foods are, are multivitamins. If we diversify our plate of food, we get natural multivitamins because the colours, the spectrum of the colours that we get in nature's fruit or green is because of the nutrients that it contains. And that, that's what gives it colour. So when we eat something from each colour category, we are collecting different vitamins and minerals, different nutrients that then add to our toolbox that then enable the body to work really well and give us a great life. I feel awful that I keep using gym or fitness analogies, but I want to talk about like how you train, again, the bicep. You put it under stress and then it adapts. That being said, especially given the archetype of the overworked, underslept office employee, what impact does their stress, their mental stress, have on the gut? Mm. Is it because, does it impact the gut because they're making poor choices because they're stressed? Or is the sensation of stress, the, the increase of cortisol, is that also having an effect on the gut? Or is it mm. both? It's both. It's, do you know what? It's re very rare in, in nutritional therapy, in the world of, of food and health, is it ever one thing? I say very rare because someone's going to find one for me otherwise. <laughs> like, <laughs> never. Um, you know, 99% of the time, it's multifactorial. There are several things going on. We know that stress increases inflammation in the gut. When we have increased inflammation in the gut, the intestinal wall, that intestinal barrier, which is there to absorb nutrients at an appropriate time, can become compromised. And that can then cause an issue. There are, you know, gut permeability is a phrase. Leaky gut is often a phrase that's um, coined around as well. It's Gut permeability really means that the, the intestinal wall has become compromised. And now things are starting to leak into the bloodstream that shouldn't be. And that can trigger immune responses because the immune system is thinking, what on earth is this? You shouldn't be here. And, and the immune system will rightly respond to that. Stress has an impact on gut inflammation. So stress can do that. Stress, we also know the hormones that respond with stress, um, the cortisol, the adrenaline, that also has a direct um, impact on the microbiome balance that we have in our gut. So the microbiome, the bacteria that we're trying to nurture and care for, becomes imbalanced because we become stressed, because it has that knock-on effect. Then equally, when we are stressed, we often reach for palatable, enjoyable foods that are higher in sugar, higher in salt, and higher in inflammatory oils, seed oils, cheaper oils. It's the processed foods. They give us a lovely taste on the tongue, lifts our spirits a little bit. That's why we do it. It's quick, it's convenient, processed, but I can do it in five minutes. That's why I do it. That also has a knock-on effect by disrupting our gut by increasing inflammation, by feeding our microbiome with sugars 
and rather than fibres and whole grains. So, yeah, it's multifactorial and all of that definitely has a role to play. So insightful. I want to unpick the term gut feeling. I began to learn that that term exists because the gut and the brain are connected to a nerve. The what you put in your gut and how healthy your gut is can have a direct impact on your mental health or your your kind of brain cognitive clarity or your kind of brain clarity. How are these things affected? How how, how are they interlinked? And how does poor or good uh, gut health? How does that impact your cognitive abilities? So I'm I'm really pleased that the gut brain connection is becoming a common thing that we talk about now. And actually, when we consider that when we get nervous about something, the stress, the, th- the thing that we're worrying about and thinking about in our head gives us butterflies in our tummy, it's really easy to then see how that connection is so strong. We have something called the enteric nervous system, which is made up of millions of nerve connections, and they're wrapped around our digestive system. And it really connects the emotions in our brain to our gut, if we consider it that way. We've also got our vagus nerve, which is talked about more and more as, you know, that gut brain connection is tied together through our vagus nerve. And it's part of our cranial nerves. Um, and it carries signals from the digestive system and other organs as well, thinking about our respiratory system, thinking about our eyes, all the way back to our um, back between our brain and those organs. So it's a real sort of bi-directional communication. And if we think about it from stress response, going back to as well what I was saying earlier in regards to when we are stressed, we don't have as much digestive enzymes and we don't have the same amount of um, hydrochloric acid to break down our food. This is the response that this um, gut-brain connection is having. It's another example that when we are stressed, if we go back to our ancestral times and stressed and, you know, the fear was about running away from danger. And that's really what stress is. When the body feels stressed, it feels like it's in a, a dangerous situation. When we rely on cortisol, cortisol is the is the stress hormone, and cortisol is really a life-saving hormone. It wakes us up in the morning. If we do not have a cortisol spike in the morning, we're not getting out of bed. And that's what some people can feel when they when they completely overdo their cortisol and they can end up with something like chronic fatigue syndrome, it's because they've worn themselves down to the fact that their stress response is just not triggering anymore. It's not firing. So they cannot get out of bed in the morning. It's a really, really concerning place to be. Absolutely can be supported, and we can bring the body back into a better place, but we don't even want to get there in the first place. And when we continually drive the stress response, that can be where we end up. When we are stressed, we're running away from something, we're in danger. No one's about to sit down and eat a gourmet meal while they're on the run. <laughs> That's just not a thing. What we do want to do is we want our pupils to dilate so we can see clearly. We want our brain to switch on so we've got clarity of mind and we can really think about what we're doing and where we're heading. We want the energy to go to our muscles and our skeletal system so that we can run. We can peg it away from whatever we are running away from. We're not trying to digest anything. We're not trying to make babies. And so do you see how we sort of shift the energy in the body really shifts and we refocus actually where we're going to put our um, energy and where we're going to send the electrical signals in, in the body when we are in a moment of stress. That's what has a knock on effect when we consider digestion as well. 
because if we're in a state of stress and we're trying to eat at our desk, we're not in the rest and digest state ready to actually digest our food and absorb it properly. We won't chew properly. We won't digest in the stomach. We pass food into the small intestine that um, is too large and so on, like, like I was talking about earlier. The listeners must be absolutely gripped. I am. I'm having so much fun. I'm really, really enjoying this episode. Good. Let's bring it full circle then. We now know what gut health is. We know what poor gut health looks like. We know the symptoms and its effects. To promote good gut health, what foods should we be eating in our diet? What can we give to the listeners actionable next steps? I think that part of it's really important because we could geek out for hours on, you know, what's actually going on inside us. And and that matters. I think understanding the why and sort of getting to really know our bodies better is vital for us to enable, you know, make change and actually enable us to take action because without the why, it can be a little bit pointless. So I love the fact we've had the opportunity to do that today. But yeah, let's definitely talk about things that people can take away and the actions that people can take. Because if we lean on what we've just spoken about in regards to actually allowing the body to be prepared for a meal, we've got those two responses of fight and flight, which is the stress response, and we've got rest and digest. If we're not in a state of rest and digest, we're going to struggle to digest our food well. It's going to have knock-on effects to how well we absorb the, the nutrients that we're trying to eat, but also just the general function and health of our gut itself. So. If you do go to have your meal, have a think about what state you're in. If you've come off a flustered call, if you've just finished work, if you've just had an argument with your partner or your friend or a family, just take a moment, rather than going and sitting down and rushing that food, take a moment to try and enable the body to shift. And the body can shift really quickly, actually. Um, one of the quickest ways that it can do that is by um, alternate nostril breathing, as you may have heard of. That can be one of the fastest ways that people can shift from sympathetic fight and flight into parasympathetic rest and digest mode. So, and that can literally be a case of sort of breathing in through one nostril, hold, switch nostrils and breathe out. <laughs> breathe in through that nostril, hold, switch nostrils, breathe out. And that, for a minute or two, can really change the body's stress response. And then you can be ready to have a meal. Then we can think about how well are we chewing? Am I chewing my meal 20, 30 times? Just count initially and count and notice when you actually want to swallow. And I can assure most people are normally under 10. And just Feel that food in your mouth. How big is that food still? It should be really slodgy and really into that sort of almost getting to that liquid state ready for the, the rest of the body to receive it. Really utilize your teeth and what they're made for and then allow yourself to um, to swallow that food. That from a from an action sort of physical level that we can really do to, to improve our digestion in regards to what we can put on our plate, we spoke about diversity. That's really, really key. Thinking about getting as much of, um, of a diverse range of foods in as you can. There's a lovely challenge of aiming for sort of 30 plant-based foods within a week. Uh, and I have, you know, I give this to clients as a bit of a challenge. You know, we start with 30 and then I really encourage them to get up to 50 different foods within a week. And 
have it as a bit of fun, you know, do it as a bit of a measurement tool of seeing actually where are you at at the moment and how can you slowly but surely get there? And the other one you can do is test of how many different colors do you eat? You know, you can print off a color chart um, and really think about how many different colors do you eat across the week? And do you have some that you really naturally sit into? Do you often eat a lot of green stuff, but not a lot of purple? Are you really fond of sort of those sort of ambery colors, the, the orange, the yellow, the the reds, and yet you don't really go into the greens or, or into the whites even and go for mushrooms and cauliflowers and things like that? Think about that range of color spectrum too. But then to think about two things that often come up quite commonly too is prebiotics and probiotics. I know probiotics, we almost talk of them as like supplements. They're what you'd go to the health store to buy and then you'd take them. But actually, probiotics are foods as well and prebiotics are foods as well. I mentioned earlier that the gut microbiome feed on fiber. We have to feed them to keep them living, to help them flourish, to keep them happy. Prebiotics are beneficial fibers for the gut. And they act similar to like a fertilizer. If we were going to fertilize our soil, um, and I was at the, at the RHS this year at Hampton Court, which was incredible. And I, I was giving a talk then on, on the gut microbiome and how really it, it does respond the way that the soil does to help our plants grow. We don't ever put plants and flowers in really poor nutrient soil and expect them to do anything. <laughs> we need to, you know, enact the same thing for ourselves. We need to feed ourselves well. You know, when we see worms and things in soil, we know that's a good thing. Consider our gut microbiome in a similar fashion. So prebiotic fibers really help to act as fertilizers that encourage the growth of bacteria in the gut. And they are things like onions and garlic and leeks, you know, really basic bases for meals. And then asparagus, artichokes, um, bananas, um, whole grains as well. When we think about whole grain um foods like whole grain rices and you know think about the good ancient grains as well that we can pull and then things like potatoes when we cook them cool them and then cook them again they can also create a really lovely resistant starch that acts as a lovely prebiotic fiber fiber as well that feeds the gut so that's definitely something to consider pulling into the diet and really as i said some of those are really easy to really bring in and then we've got the probiotic foods as well and they provide um, the bacteria, they actually provide bacteria, probiotics deliver bacteria. So if you were to take it as a supplement, you'd be delivering the bacteria. In foods, that's the same concept as well. And it helps to increase that population of gut microbiome, which some people really need, especially if there's been a lot of heavy antibiotic use, if there's been stomach upset, um, if there's been any sort of food poisoning. Um, or if you just feel that your diet hasn't actually been very, very good for you, if you've been living off a lot of processed foods and there's not been a lot of fiber and, and whole whole foods and nature's foods in your diet, you might want to consider actually delivering some of these bacteria to, to your gut. And they are fermented things like kimchi, sauerkraut, pickled vegetables. I'm a big lover of a gherkin. Me too. I don't want a burger without a gherkin. <laughs> Um, kombucha and kefir, which has also become really popular. They're really nice ways of delivering it to the gut. And if you can have like a kefir or kombucha first thing in the morning, then you're delivering it on a on a fasted gut. So you're getting right to it without any disruption or anything in the way. So it's a really nice thing to do. I like adding something like a kimchi or a sauerkraut to my scrambled eggs or an omelette. You know, it's a really nice thing to have. And then you've also got things like your cultured yogurts 
um, which, uh, you know, your natural yogurts, which is a really beautiful way of doing it too. So they're, they're my top tip. They're always the things that come first and foremost to mind when we think about how do we just support the gut. Um, it's the physical side, actually enabling better digestion, and then the delivery side of the types of foods that we choose to eat. Some of the listeners may be having hypothetical inflammation or an allergic reaction to all those foods. You might think, well, there's a cost of living crisis. I can't afford to eat. Uh, to sustain a diet like that you can't afford it mm. is that the case or can you debunk that can eating well also mean saving well and spending well this is this is a conversation i know i'm going to have a lot especially in the you know the times to come this is a really common conversation and I've, i was having it previously because you know food can be deemed very expensive and i get it you know especially when people are often pushing you know organic food and i do encourage organic food where we can but i appreciate for a lot of people it's just not economically viable and we are heading into uh you know i like to call it cost of living squeeze because i find crisis really inverts it sort of increases fear and we've had a lot of fear the last few years. We've had more than enough. And I, I don't want to increase that stress response anymore because of the impact that that can have on our health. So we can call it a cost of living squeeze. And I get we're all going to feel the squeeze. We're all going to have to get really savvy with the way that we spend money. I know at the moment I've got all the lights on for this recording. But as soon as this is done, I'm going to be turning all the lights off again. We're going to have lots of different ways of making sure that we can manage in the times to come. I'm really conscious as well about saying whether something is expensive or not because I really appreciate that everybody's version of expensive is very relative and very personal to them but what I'm really keeping an eye on is what's happening to the value of food and I don't mean the money like the monetary value of food I know that's going up but actually the health value that we're placing on food and it's not to dismiss the cost implement at all but actually we can get savvy here Cheaper food is often processed food, which is lacking in fiber, but incredibly high in sugars, salts, and inflammatory oils. It doesn't sustain us. Those foods don't sustain you. When we go, you know, right back at the beginning, we were talking about the eating little and often, or do we eat three square meals a day? Three square meals a day is a much more beneficial way to eat for the gut. A much more beneficial way to eat for our blood sugars and the impact that that's going to have on energy levels and skin health and hormone health and weight and the onset of diabetes later on in life. There's so many reasons to think about going back to three square meals a day. The cheaper, more processed foods don't sustain us to be able to do that. We get hungry within a couple of hours. We don't allow that MMC to take place. We then need more and more food in the house. When we consider going for higher fiber foods, more foods that are closer to how they were grown in nature, we may see that the volume that we purchase goes down. But the budget is fair and overall better for us. When we can often have that idea, I want to get more for my money. Yeah. I'll buy all the cheap stuff. And I'll buy loads of it. Um, I don't know that saying, buy cheap, buy twice. My husband's a Yorkshireman, so I'm always hearing about, you know, buy cheap. But, you know, he, he, he'll really, he really understands the value in this. You know, 
we we might buy a lot of cheap stuff and our, our supermarket trolley might be overflowing. But is that really necessary? If we actually bought whole foods, fibrous foods, you know, go closer back to nature and we go to three meals a day that really sustain us. Meal to meal, we're sustained. We don't need to fill the gaps with snacks. We spend less overall. We we, we are only two in this household, two and a half when I've got my stepson here. <laughs> our trolleys are not overflowing because we have three square meals a day. We don't snack. We don't have crisps to snack on or or crackers or rice cakes or anything else like that filling the gaps. We really concentrate on what goes in our meals. And it's been I really I'm really keen to see how this changes. And I I'm I'm gonna constantly be providing as much information as I can for how we can get savvy with um, the foods that we choose to make sure that we look after our health, but we also appreciate the squeeze that's gonna happen. Um, I share, you know, as many freebies as I can via our website and, you know, there's there's those that can be downloaded. I'm really keen to see what's going to take place because, interestingly, across there was an ONS stat across 60 years between the late 50s, um, so it's like 57 to 2017, the share of household expenditure that we spent on food halved used to be up at around 30, 35% of expenditure went on food. That was where we put the value of food back then. It went down. In 2020, they rechecked that stat and it was recorded at 8%. So 8% of household budget went on food. Now, I totally appreciate that when costs rise across the board, we've got to make changes. And food is going to be something where we've got less money to spend on it. But I'm really conscious about how we've taken the health value away from food and where the food industry continues to push convenience, microwavable, processed foods, cheap prices. We are having a knock-on effect in the future where we're going to end up spending more money looking after our health. The money's going to get spent, but in a very different way. And in a, in a more, more painful way, in my opinion, it's not fun to go through health issues. Um, and the, the, I will rejoice on the day that I walk down a supermarket aisle and see butternut squash on the bog-off end aisle and broccoli and lentils rather than crisps and biscuits and alcohol and toilet roll. <laughs> I want to see real food being offered at the bog off prices because at the moment those buy one get one freeze, they don't save us money and they're not serving us. I have really, really loved this podcast, Natalie. I really, really have. It's went so full circle um, right round to the actionable next steps. And I'm really glad that you signposted that you have free resources and you, you write online about this stuff at Integral Wellness, uh, your, your website. If people want to get in touch to enhance their journey, whether they want direct support from you or they just want to read more into the topics that we've discussed. Where can people find you online? Yeah, I'd love to hear from people. I really enjoy connecting with people and chatting about what's going on for them and, and you know, and how they're seeking 
seeking better health. So I, you know, I hope this is really, really helpful. Um, my website is integralwellness.co.uk. Um, you can sign up for our emails there and you can download the freebies that we've got available and we've got more planned in the future. You can find us on Instagram at Natalie Louise underscore Integral Wellness and on Facebook at Integral Wellness Clinic. And you can also find me on LinkedIn as well. I'll add all the links in the show notes below. I'm sure you'll have so many people clicking on to find out more. This has been such an honour. I've really, really enjoyed this. So thank you for your time and your generosity. Pleasure. I'm really grateful for you for hosting this conversation. I've had a blast. So thank you so much. <laughs>